Oh, man. Well, good morning. Thank you all for being here this morning. I'm, I'm so privileged to, to stand here. I, I love our pastor um, infinitely. I, I tell you, I've learned more from him uh, than I think he even knows. And uh, I'm grateful that he has allowed me to stand before you this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We're going to be looking at the whole chapter. Luke chapter 15. I am, uh, I don't, well, I don't really know what you would call me, but I, I, I love to, uh, I love to go to movies. I love to watch movies. A uh, uh, couple nights ago, me and, me and my bride got to, a chance to go to the movies. In fact, when uh, the, we had a, a young lady come over and, and babysit our, our kids, and as the garage door was closing, Cherry ran for the car and said, go, go, go before they stop us. So, we were able to to get out for the first time and and uh, and and really and really had a had a good time. But we we don't necessarily like the same kind of movies. Uh, she likes those lovey dovey, uh, you know, guy meets the girl, guy falls in love with the girl, guy makes this great speech about his heart and love and and I like um, I like those movies where the aliens attack and. The man comes out and destroys them all, and there's big rejoicing, yes. Um, and there's many reasons why I like those movies. I tell you this, though. I will watch any movie where there are great characters. I'll watch any movie where the characters are well-defined and where I can follow them. In fact, one of my favorite shows, uh, it's no longer on because uh, I'm sad because of it, was 24. And the reason that I loved the show was because of Jack Bauer. Just the, just, there was this great character and and I love happy ending so to speak and the fact that in the end you knew it was going to take 24 hours but Jack eventually was going to stop whatever was going to happen I love uh, stories with characters love them today we're going to look at the master storyteller Jesus ever wanted to drive home a point he told a story Jesus ever wanted somebody to, to make sure they understood it he told a story. And in Luke chapter 15, uh, he tells three stories back to back to back. And in that, he, he, he wants you to get the point that he's trying to drive home. Once again, we're about to look at the master storyteller. And we're going to see the characters that he brings in. And I believe in those stories, we will see ourselves. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, when we read these stories, we will see ourselves. So if you would, I'm going to read the first two verses just real quick. And then we're going to uh, pray. And then we are going to uh, get after it. So, Verse 1 of chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. And that's Jesus. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. Father, in this time these brief moments. I pray, God, that you speak through your word. God, I'm so thankful that you tell the story and that you define what is right and true. And I pray that you speak to each person. And God, I'm so thankful that you have called me. But God, hide me your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So you, you see, Jesus, um, in Luke chapter 14, let me set the stage for you. Uh, Luke chapter 14, Jesus is, is teaching, and, and at the end of Luke 14, he's got this crowd of people following him. And, and so all these people are following him, and Jesus stops all of a sudden, and he says, hey, you really want to follow me? Here's how you follow me. Hate your family, hate yourself, and be willing to die. And then it segues into chapter 15. And we see that sinners and tax collectors are sitting almost at Jesus' feet. And they're listening to him. And I've always wondered, what is it about Jesus that drew people to him? He wasn't an attractive man. The the book of Isaiah said there was nothing of of beauty to look at. He was just a, a normal Middle Eastern man. As we see in chapter 14, he didn't preach this feel good gospel he didn't preach this hey everybody's okay i'm okay you're okay he didn't preach that kind of message he preached hard he preached truth so what was it what was it that drew sinners and tax collectors to him i believe these three parables are going to share with us really what drew these people and what draws us this morning to his feet You see the Pharisees and the scribes, they were standing in the background. They were listening to Jesus as He taught and they were listening to Jesus as He spoke and it's almost as if they stood back there with their arms crossed and their feet tapping and almost in disgust of what He was saying. Jesus knew that they were feeling this way. And He starts off in verse 4. Verse 3 says he, He told Him this parable... He starts off with two short parables. Verse 4 talks about the lost sheep, and it says, if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and he loses one or one loses its way or, or, or one is lost, does he not leave the 99 and go back and receive that one, put it on his shoulders and take him in? And the Bible says that he brings his friends together and they rejoice together because what was lost is found. And verse 7 says, I tell you in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. And in the original language, it gives the inclination of feels no need to repent. So Jesus tells this beautiful story. And I wonder if he stopped for a second and said, all right, they got it. And they didn't get it. He said, okay, let me reiterate what I said. Verse 8, or what woman, if she has ten silver coins, loses a coin, doesn't light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. Verse 9, when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he stops. And he says, they got it now. They understand me. And maybe people are looking around and maybe people are kind of looking at themselves saying, I don't get it. And Maybe the Pharisees are still standing in the background going, I, I still can't believe he's with these rotten people. And that's when he tells what is now known as Probably the greatest story in the world. 
probably the most well-known story in the world. There are movies made about this story. There are music videos made about this story. There are pictures in museums and paintings by famous people that depict this very story. And yet I think if we spend some time in it this morning, we may see some things that we've never seen before. So Jesus, after telling these first two stories, gathers himself. And in verse 11 he says, A man had two sons. The younger son said to the father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Basically, here's what the younger son has said. Hey, Dad, I'm grateful and all for my life. I'm grateful and all for this house and for you putting shelter over me and putting food on the table. But here's what would make me really happy if you were dead. Really and truly, that's what he's saying. What would make me the happiest man in the world is if you would die so that I can have what I deserve. So that I can have what is rightfully mine. So that I can have what is coming to me. The loving father. It says he, he divided his wealth between them. The loving father, having heard his youngest son say to him, I I wish you were dead, takes all that he has, probably liquidates his assets, and gives his son what he asks for. I never understood the love of a parent until I became a parent. When my mom used to tell me that it was going to hurt her more than it hurt me, I thought she was lying to me. I thought it was a mean joke that parents play just to make themselves feel better about what they're about to do. Turns out, it hurts. Turns out when you discipline your children and when your, when your children break your heart, it, it hurts. And when your children are hurting, you hurt. Can you imagine the father's pain when his son looked at him and said, best thing in the world right now is that if you were dead to me. I can't imagine. So we have the father and we have the rebellious son. So it says the son many days later, verse 13, gathered everything that he had and went on a journey to a distant country and there he squandered his estate with and my translation says Loose living, some translations say debauchery. Let's just say he had lots and lots and lots of parties. And he had a lot of fun, and he invited a lot of people, and he bought a lot of stuff, and he did a lot of things that he shouldn't. So not only did the son go to the father and say, Father, I wish that you were dead. He said, not only did I wish that you were dead, I'm going to take the money that you sweated for, that you fought for, that you worked for. I'm going to take something that cost you so much, and I'm going to squander it. On nothing. I'm going to take what I believe I deserve and squander it. Get rid of it. Use it up on however I want to. Do you think that broke the heart of the Father? 
often wondered if the father knew what his son was doing. Obviously, the father was a wealthy man. He had hired servants. He had uh, lots of land. He had a beautiful house. We find out later he had uh, nice clothing, nice stuff. So I wonder. I wonder if the father knew people in the distant land with which he was at. I wonder if the father knew what was going on with the son. I wonder if the father received word that his son was squandering all that he had, that he was living just however he wanted to live, and that he was hurting. I wonder if I broke his heart. Let's keep going. Verse 14, Now that when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. He became impoverished. Stop right there for a second. I, I, I don't believe that the famine happened at that very moment by coincidence. I believe in a sovereign God. I believe in a God that sometimes has to shake us to wake us. My mom had to shake me four times to get me out of bed as a kid. And she knew the fourth one was going to work because it was threat of water and cold and I'm going to throw a bucket of water on you if you don't get out of bed. Sometimes God has to shake us to wake us. Sometimes things happen in our lives and we don't understand it. And sometimes things happen and sometimes we are at the very bottom of where we are. And it's only then, it's only when we get to the bottom that we can look up and see the one who loves us. It's only when things happen in our lives that we stop relying on ourselves and start relying on the God who loves us. It's only sometimes when things happen that we put our trust and our faith in the only one worth trusting. The only one who truly, truly desires what's best for us. It says he became <laughs> impoverished, meant he was broke. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Now understand, he, he's a Jew. I, I don't know much, but I know that Jews aren't supposed to touch pigs. Aren't supposed to eat pigs. I'm pretty sure they're not supposed to wallow around with pigs and feed them and do all that stuff. So, so, so understand this. He has, he has squandered everything the Father gave him, everything. And now he has to hire himself out doing something he never thought he would have to. He had to lower himself. And he's now in a position and in a place that he didn't, maybe weeks ago or days ago or months ago, ever, ever see himself being in. Have you been there? Have you ever been in a place where you were like, I, I, have, I have no clue how I got here. I have no clue how this happened. I have no clue how I went from here to here. All I know is I am alone and I am broken. And I just want to know that God loves me. Or I want to know that somebody gives a rip about me. That's where the son is. That's where the rebellious son is. Look at verse uh, seven, or look at verse sixteen. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, 
And no one was giving anything to him. He was in dire straits. And then probably one of the most beautiful words of the Bible. And the Bible has a great way of putting a butt behind something to show us that's not all the story. That's what it says. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. It wasn't until the son realized in himself, man, my father is gracious. And my father loves. And the ones who even serve my father have enough provided for them. They are provided for. They are cared for. I am on my own. And I look back and I say, Father has given so much to those who are with him. And I'm here on my own, having what I wanted, wishing, wishing that I were just a servant of my Father. Reminds me in the book of Psalms where it says, I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord than be a millionaire with riches untold. It wasn't until the rebellious son realized in his heart that the father had so much more than he could possibly dream of. I wonder if there's anyone here today who would say, man, I am in that position. Strung out. I'm poor, I'm broken, and I'm alone. And all I want to know is that there is someone who cares enough for me. All I want to know is there is someone who loves me. All I want to know is, if that God is real, does He love even poor, wretched people like me? Let's find out, shall we? Verse 18. And I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. He realized, man, I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against my father. I'm going to go to him. I'm going to beg for his mercy. I am going to beg for him to forgive me. I'm going to beg for him to just make me a servant. I don't care about being his son anymore. I just want to be taken care of. I just want him to know that I'm sorry. And I, and I pray to heaven that he gives me another chance. Verse 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he gets up, verse 20, and he goes to his father. There's another but, which is just awesome. While he was still a long way off. And in the original language, that means a long way off. Just letting you know. His father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And understand, that's not just a kiss. That is a repeated kiss. That is almost as if he saw his son from afar. And he ran to him and he picked him up. And he lavished love upon him. Understand, this son is coming. He is dirty. He is smelly. He's been hanging out with pigs. And his father is of great wealth, probably had really nice clothes on. But the interesting thing to me is, it says he saw him a a long way off. How does someone who's not looking for the sun see him coming? How does someone, and and I imagine this in my mind, what if the father was working all the time and what if he was in the fields and every once in a while he would stop working in the fields and he would look out to the street and he would look out to the area and he would say, God, please, I just want to see my son. I just hope that he comes. Maybe he walked as far as he could down the road to look and see if his son was coming. Maybe he walked as far as he could hoping that he would catch a glimpse of his son coming home. And what about that day when he saw his son and he saw him coming. Close your eyes for a second. I don't want you looking at me. Imagine that. Imagine this morning that you see the Father and the Father is standing out there and all of a sudden in the distance He sees somebody and He says, could that be Him? Could that be Him? And He starts getting closer and He says, man, I, I think that's my son. I, I know how my son walks. I know my children. Looks like him. He's, he's dirty. His head's bent in shame. Is that my son? And as he gets closer, he notices that it is his son, in fact. And so, uh, putting aside all tradition, putting aside all uh, anything, he picks up his robes and he runs to his son and he puts his arms around him. Now imagine in your mind, you see the son push his dad away. The speech that he has rehearsed so, so long, probably the whole trip home. He says, Dad, I've sinned against you and against heaven, and I'm sorry. And it's almost as if the father stops him, and he says, Stop. And he looks at his servants, and he says, Go get him a robe. Put some shoes on my son's feet. Put a ring on his finger. I have forgiven him. My son has come home. Now look at me. Do you not think that God would do the same for us. Do you not think that God vehemently looks for us and wants us to come home? And He cares not what we look like. He cares not what we've been through. He he, he just doesn't care. All He cares about is that His Son comes home. This morning, maybe you need to just come home. Maybe you need to quit running. And understand this. You just take the step. The Father will run to you. And I wish I could end the story here. <laughs> but that's why I believe the Bible is completely inspired. Because if uh, we were just trying to tell a nice little fairy tale, this would be the end. Everybody would rejoice. And as you see, they killed the fatted calf and everybody was partying. Everybody was happy. Except, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants, and the servant basically said, hey man, your, your, dad, your son's come home. Your dad's killed the fatted calf. We're, we're rejoicing. 
Verse 28, but he became angry and was not willing to go in. Why did he, why was he so angry? Why was he so angry? His brother came home. His brother who was lost, his, his kin, the one who was like him, his, his blood, came home. So the father, being the loving father that he is, he comes out. He says, what's up with you? Please come in. Please love on your brother. He's home. Verse 29. Look, he said to his father, for so many years I have been serving you. I have never neglected the commands of yours, and yet you have never given me a goat. You've never given me anything that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him? Can you see it? Him standing off in the distance. His arms folded. His foot tapping. Dad, do you know who this guy is? He said he, he wished you were dead. He said, I'd rather you be dead. I want what's mine. I want you to give me what's mine. I want you to be dead to me. I'm taking it and I'm going. And dad, he squandered it and he didn't like invest it on good stuff. He got prostitutes. Not a sound investment. And he did all these things, God, dad, and he broke your heart. And the moment he comes running, you embrace him, you put shoes on him. You give him a ring, you put clothes on him, and, and you kill our best supply of meat so that he might celebrate. And we look at the brother and we say to ourselves, how can he be so mean? How can he be so insensitive? Well, you've met the father. You've met the rebellious son. I want you to meet the religious son. Far too often. And we, we don't like to admit it all the time. Far too often we're more the religious son. Because the religious son, who in his own mind I'm sure meant well, mark this down. The religious son was too busy doing the work of the father that he missed the heart of the father. The older son was too busy doing the work of the father that he missed the heart of the father. He worked for the father. Look what he says. He said, man, I've never broken any of the, the you know, commandments you've given us. I've worked for you. I've toiled in the field. I've done all this stuff. I work for you. Show me some love. And far too often, that's where we are. Let me give you three truths this morning, and we'll be done. Understand this. God desperately loves and wants a relationship with us. God desperately loves and wants a relationship with us. That's the loving Father right there. God is willing to forgive anyone who asks for it. That's the rebellious son right there. God is willing to forgive anyone who asks for it. Third, God desires for believers to feel and act the same way. God desires for believers to feel and act the same way. And let's, I'm, just, I'm going to be honest with you. Not that I've not been honest before, but 
to be honest with you now. I find myself to be the older son more often than not. I don't have a good memory. Thankfully, God gave me a wife that does. I can't remember what I had for lunch last week. I know I had lunch. I mean, look at me. But I know that I don't know what I had for lunch last week. I can remember big time things. Like I remember the day that Cherry uh, reciprocated my love. I almost fainted, but I remember it, and it was a a wonderful day. I remember getting the phone call uh, for Abigail. I remember them calling and saying, "Hey, we have a birth mother who wants to give you uh, this baby, and I hope." You'll take her, and we're like, yeah, sounds good to us. I remember that. I remember when Cherry told me that she was pregnant with Samuel. I remember that. I remember the day my dad left. I was six. I remember what was playing on the radio, Love in the First Degree by Alabama. I'll never forget. I remember what my mom was wearing, turquoise shirt. I remember getting in the car and, I was driving away, and I remember thinking to myself, I don't understand why this is happening. Flash forward 12 years, 12 years of no uh, communication. Flash forward 12 years of no child support with which my mother uh, and us living in D.C., we had to rent rooms from people, we had to we rented a basement one time. We rented uh, a room from another lady one time. We had to live with my uncle uh, just because we couldn't pay the bills. I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me. I just want you to understand that uh, that money would have been nice. 18, anger in my heart. Supposedly God in my heart, but anger in my heart. I drove to Tennessee. My dad lived only about six hours away. I walked in his front door, and, uh, and, uh, and I told him, what I thought of him, and I cannot repeat what I said in this room. But let's just say it was not very nice. And I left. And I remember leaving, and I remember uh, driving away from Tennessee, and I remember thinking to myself, I will never forgive that man, and I hope God doesn't either. Did you hear me? I hope God doesn't either. Flash forward four years, God calls me in the ministry. I'm excited, praying, accepting my first position and an internship. And God put this overwhelming feeling on me that I could not go until I first made right what I did wrong. So I packed my truck up and uh, drove to Tennessee at the age of 22 by myself. I had no clue how to go drive through the mountains. I just did it. Pulled up to his front door. Walked into his front door, put my arms around him, said, Dad, I love you. I forgive you, and I pray you forgive me. And with tears in his eyes, he said, how, how is it you forgive me? I don't deserve your forgiveness. I said, Dad, I don't deserve God's forgiveness. But I have a loving Father who forgives me for who I am. And how can I, a human, not forgive you? And thus started a, a, a beautiful seven-year relationship with my dad. He came to my wedding, came to my graduation, college, and seminary. And in seminary, my, my seminary president spoke probably the greatest message on salvation I think I've ever heard. 
And I remember afterward my dad crying and saying, that God you serve sounds like a really loving person. Nothing happened. We went our separate ways. About three weeks later, I get a phone call from my aunt saying my dad has terminal cancer. It has spread all through his body. So we communicate over the phone as much as possible and pray God uh, gives my dad one last chance. In October of that year, I received a phone call from the VA hospital in Johnson City, Tennessee that told me to, I probably needed to come because my dad was spiraling down pretty quick. So me and Cherry packed up and we drove. And for a week, a solid week, I waited for the right opportunity. And it never presented itself until the last day. Me and my dad alone in his room. And I looked down at him and I said, Dad, you know I forgive you and you know I love you. And he says, I do. I said, Dad, you, you, need, you need to ask God to do the same. I said, Dad, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things if I forgive you, if you haven't reconciled with the Father in heaven. I said, Dad, He loves you. He loves you so much. Can't you see that? With tears in his eyes and a trembling hand, he reached out and he says, I do see that, son. Can you help me? And in that room that day, I led my dad to Christ. And God, in His mercy, gave my dad two extra years to, uh, to be with us and to worship with us and to reconcile with my mother and reconcile with my family and just build this beautiful relationship. And then he died in April of the next uh, two years later. And I remember speaking at his funeral and I remember explaining kind of this, that we, when we talk about the grace of God, ladies and gentlemen, we talk a whole lot about the grace of God being extended to us. And, and rightly so. We have a God who loves us and who uh, died for us, and that should be celebrated. But do we also talk about the grace of God that we extend to others? Because I'm going to tell you the truth. The older brother uh, was not gracious, and yet the father was extremely gracious to him. I told you I like really good characters. And I believe everybody in this room is one of them. I believe there's some people in here that are the rebellious son. I, I, I believe it with all my heart. You've been running. And you've just gotten to a point that you just can't go any further. It's time to come home. It's time to come home. And then there's some that's the older brother. You've got some hatred in your heart. And it might even be founded hatred. Man, everybody kept telling me, you have every right to hate your dad. No, I don't. Do you know what he did to you? Do you know what I did to God? I mean, I have no right to hate my father. Some of us today, man, you just got to let it go. Just let it go. Some of you today need to go to somebody and just say, Sorry. 
I forgive you. Do you forgive me? Because we're all under this umbrella of a loving God and a loving Father who would do anything for you. I'm glad to say that one day I'll spend eternity with my Heavenly Father and my dad. But I don't know that that would have happened had, had I not just given up that hate. I didn't save him, God did. But as one salesman told another when he lost a, a big sale, he said, man, I guess you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And the old salesman said, it's not our job to make people drink. It's our job to show them that they're thirsty. And that's our job. Hey, let's show people that they thirst for righteousness. I'm going to give an invitation. You respond how you feel. But I pray that you take this to heart and I pray that you, I pray that you let it go. Father, we thank you for this day and this time. And God, I thank you that you are the loving Father who forgives and forgives and forgives. And God, we all mess up. I make, <laughs> I guarantee I'm going to mess up and I'm going to make people upset and I probably have. But God, I'm so thankful that regardless of what I've done, your truth remains and God, I'm thankful that the truth is not contingent upon me. God, there are people in this room that just need to make some decisions. There's people that need to come home. Come home. And there are people that need to give it up. Hate won't do anything but hurt you and destroy you. But man, forgiveness will free you. I want you to experience the peace that passes all understanding. The peace my father experienced when he gave his life to Jesus. The peace that I experienced when I forgave him. God loves you. Won't you respond to his love today? God, I give you this time. In Jesus' name.